My name is Becca and I have beaten the often path by creating a new method of contacting emergency services. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unusual success stories to help us see the bigger picture in our lives and our careers. My goal is to help you find your life's work and mission to get outside of thoughts like, I'm just gonna make as much money as I can and start thinking about having a sense of purpose and greater good in your own life. And along those lines, my guest today is Becca Hume, the founder of Tap SOS. Now, a chance encounter with a deaf coworker when she was working in retail at the age of 16 led her down a path that would ultimately see her founding a company to give persons with disabilities access to emergency services. Now, if you're able to speak or hear, you take for granted that you can just pick up the phone and dial 911 here in the US or 999 where she's from. But for 650 million people with disabilities around the world, these moments are not easy or they're even impossible. She's made it her life's mission to change the outdated emergency support systems, fundamentally improving the way we all get access to help when we need it most. Oh, she's also developing a second product for victims of domestic abuse, a trend that has sadly increased dramatically during the global pandemic. In short, she's on one of the most noble missions you can possibly imagine, and I can't wait for her to tell you her story today. So here's Becca Hume, creator of Tap SOS. Well, welcome, Becca. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I hope you are well. Where are you calling in from? Thanks very much for having me. Um, I'm calling from Northern Ireland in a town called Belfast. A town called Belfast. Okay, we're reaching all over the world with this podcast, which is great. I can hear your accent. You can hear my accent, although I think yours is much nicer than mine. <laughs> That's definitely up for debate. <laughs> yes, everybody loves the Irish accent, I think. Uh, it's, oh, it's no. Yes, <laughs> I do. I think most Americans do, for sure. Everyone but ourselves, but yes, it's quite yeah, popular. That's, well, isn't that the way it always is with people? <laughs> Yeah. The grass is always greener, I'm sure. Um, so you have been up to some really fascinating stuff. Uh, I came across your project, Tapo SOS, and I was instantly drawn to it, and I was drawn to your story. So would you mind sharing a little bit about your story? So what have you done? What are you up to? Sure. Um, so it really all began um, when I was 16. Um, I had an idea kind of pop into my head. Um, I was working in retail. Um, while I was studying in school and going through uni. So I was in a retail job for like nine years. And it was there that I met a colleague who was deaf. At this point, I'd never experienced communicating with somebody who was deaf or hard of hearing. So it's really new to me. And at the time, my manager, when he tasked me to go and speak to my colleague, didn't mention he was deaf. Um, and just said, go and speak to Nigel. So off I went. And it was a new store and I was completely new at that age. It was my first time job. So I was quite panicked about how I was to do everything but I um, was told he'd be wearing a high fizz vest so off I went looking for this guy so they and just sent you off with no warning that's kind of no cool. warning <laughs> I know I've often thought about it was it a good thing was it a bad thing um, I'm so unsure but there are good and bad things um, linked to it but off I went saw a guy in high fizz and started speaking to him and he didn't turn around he was standing with his back towards me and I was chatting away no idea. And the closer I got to him, I just sort of nudged him because I realised he hadn't been turning around. So I just did a wee gentle tap while also speaking again. And he jumped around, it clearly gave him a fright. And he signed that he was deaf. And 
that point I was like, oh, right, okay, what am I meant to do? Um, this is completely new to me. So he gestured uh, just to get a pen and paper. Um, that's how I would communicate going forward. And we did had a conversation. And at the end of it, I just as he was kind of um, writing things back and forth, I had a lot of time to think. And at that time, I was like, I'm going to learn sign language because that's what Nigel would use. Um, so I wrote this in a bit of paper and he just kind of rolled his eyes and shrugged his shoulders. Sure, and another one. Maybe, yeah, people have maybe said this before. Right. Um, but I did, I kind of set off on a little mission was to find out where I could learn sign language. So fast forward a couple of years, um, I studied sign language at a college for eight years, just wow. really enjoyed it and worked through the different levels. But um, I suppose me personally, my passion was in design and I was then going into university to study design. And just having this kind of daily um, communication with Nigel, um, I just asked him questions and pulling together the design aspect and then seeing all these needs and challenges. And it made me just kind of think about how can things improve both products and services for the deaf community. Mm. Um, I've gone so many stories about Nigel and the deaf community alone, but that's kind of just what sparked um, the conversation. And this was, I suppose, my thought process is to what can be done here? And I was getting a lot of stories about like difficulty um, contacting the room services or just when time, times when people need it most. Mm. Um, there was a few friends of mine. Um, so later on, after learning sign language, I was getting really involved with the deaf community and I met a lot of um, friends and I was hearing their stories. Um, one in particular was about a fire um, outside her house and it was the middle of the night and she was not, wasn't aware and would use a hearing aid and so wasn't able to telephone 999 here in the UK mm-hmm. and text her mum and her mum then did it and just thought here's an opportunity for something to improve why is this not possible and what can be done and I think it's just really did allow people a bit more independence so that kind of sparked the whole journey and idea but then a little bit of background about myself there. <laughs> That's a, a wonderful story. So when you tapped him, little did you know what a prescient moment that would be, right? Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. You tap yeah, like and you say, hey. And then years later, you've got this great idea for Tap SOS. So eight yeah. years to learn sign language. Is that fairly typical? Does it typically take that long? And would you say that you're fluent at that point? Yeah, it would take that long. I think you work through levels and... Uh, Typically, a level would be one year. Um, now, in the UK, we use British language, so it's not often um, kind of widely known that it's not a universal language. Each region um, has their own. So there's American sign language, Irish sign language, um, British sign language. Um, so here, where I'm based, I'm kind of on the border between knowing Irish sign language and British sign language. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things that you kind of can do it in chunks. Um, but every time I finished one level, I was just kind of wanting more. And it's about like learning a spoken language. If you're not using and practicing it, it's very easily forgotten. So, so you I, be um, thinking that American Sign Language is, can you understand it, but it has an accent? Or is it something that you can't understand at all? There's certain things that look familiar. Um, the big difference is British Sign Language use two hands for a lot of communication. Um, American Sign Language would be one-handed which can be quite handy. Um, okay. Irish sign language is also one-handed, um, which is handy whenever you're you're holding a cup and drinking or eating or, right. you know, multitasking is On the go, handy. yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's definitely a really vibrant 
and colourful language. You know, for me, I'm dyslexic, and so I think I maybe picked it up a bit easier because I really like heavily rely on visual communication. And so seeing the conversation happen was just ideal for me. That worked really well. Okay. So you got this idea, and then is it safe to say that you kind of fell in love with sign language, the process? Because surely to continue for eight years, you must have latched onto something new or felt something new. Yeah, absolutely. I just felt really compelled. Like I, when I had that communication bar, I felt a bit of that guilt. Mm. Um, really because I couldn't communicate in the way that he did. And as well, I was observing in the workplace how he was very isolated um, and often just left out. Um, you would see um, a lot of the the males in our place joking about football scores, um, like kind of like two one and holding up fingers and doing gesture and that kind of just like fun um, yeah. kind of conversation, but nothing deep and meaningful. And you could tell that was really impacting and kind of just how he felt in our place. So that I suppose left an impression on me just to think, how can you be more inclusive? Um, and I wasn't setting off to do a big, massive, kind of world-changing product or service kind of transformation. It was just like an exploration. I just kind of set off um, a bit of an idea and a journey for myself, thinking, what can what can be done? What can I do? Um, so learning sign language is the first thing, just because I wanted to be able to speak to him in the workplace. When we're on our lunch break or coffee break, I wanted to be able to have a conversation. I didn't have, at that point any idea the top SOS would ever be a thing yeah didn't know how to go about that I'm not business-minded so it was very much just I've got something in my mind and something I'd like to do that's so wonderful I love it when people who aren't business-minded see something in their own personal life and then just make that leap for whatever reason to decide to do something about it so that's I mean kudos to you that's fantastic (laughs) so you notice that there are a number of areas where these people are being left out from daily life, obviously. So what made you zero in on the problem that you ended up solving? Um, I think it was just because it was an industry that hadn't been touched. You know, it was, first of all, the personal stories of kind of just people relying on other people. Um, Another friend of mine was in a car accident and he relied, he was profoundly deaf and he relied on the other individual who crashed into him to phone police and report the problem so instantly you're having Ouch. something that might not be factually correct right um Legal so i was hearing right. yeah absolutely i was hearing all these stories and thinking okay let me explore how the emergency services operate here in the uk um it's quite similar across the world but um focused on the uk at the net um just looking at how control rooms operate who takes all those calls what else is available if you can't telephone? And so that opened up a new discovery. So here in the UK, you can either te- telephone, line-on-line, or text. And the text service was only introduced in 2009, so it was relatively new. Mm-hmm. Um, so before that, you didn't have an option to communicate. It was just telephone. Um, and I know in America, some states still don't have a text option. I think that it was introduced in 2011. And there's still areas that don't have that. So in a way... We're quite um, like leading <laughs> um, in comparison to other yeah. countries. Um, and the UK was actually the first country to have an emergency service. And it started way back in 1935 after a fire broke out in London and three women lost their lives. And it was a doctor who created kind of an emergency system. 
it just grew from there. And it was just repeated across the world. That's a really good system to have. Mm. Um, so it's that's quite exciting for me personally living here, just you know, identifying, yeah, okay, we might be ahead of the game, but actually in terms of other technology and digital transformation in other industries, so behind. <laughs> you know, you can only telephone and text already that's quite outdated. And I just right. could see how, particularly for the deaf community who are just emerged in technology because a really good tool for them across all areas of life, just be able to kind of feel each other to use sign language in their communication rather than text. Um, you find that the deaf community are, you know, kind of early adopters in technology. And so particularly for them, most of the rest of us, emergency services just had to come along with the times and had to be updated. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick little detour from the regularly scheduled programming here to do a little plug, plug, plug. I do this every time, so you shouldn't be surprised. I don't ask a lot of you. All I want, if you like this podcast, please just share it. Rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Share it with people who need to hear this story. These kinds of things only grow with the help of their listeners. So if you enjoy these stories and you think that there is value in this podcast, I ask that you leave a review, subscribe, rate it five stars, share it with somebody who needs to hear it. Just do whatever you can do to help me grow it. That's it. Shameless plug. Now let's get back to this very interesting story of Becca Hume. Interesting. So it's like somebody crashes into my car and I'm deaf. And then I say, hey, call the police for me. And they say, oh, sure. They call the police. They say he says it's his fault. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what they're saying, right? You, you have no idea. What you have no clue. Reported. <laughs> and I saw, I think from your website, so disability affects 15 to 20% of every country's population. So there are at least 650 million persons with disabilities worldwide who are often left out of basic services. Have you seen the movie Crip Camp? It was on Netflix recently. It's a great movie. Yeah, I don't know when it takes place. The 60s, I believe. But it's about how fighting for the rights of people with disabilities, how, how not naturally it came. It was set in the U.S. But things like wheelchair ramps, access to public transportation, all of these things that everybody takes for granted every day just yeah. were simply not accessible to a large percentage of the population. It's a great movie. Um, and I think this this falls into that category. So knowing that the system was broken, how did you set about creating your product? I suppose I had a little bit of a step up. So I was studying design at university. And at that point, I was doing a master's. And in the first three months, our tutor just said, think blue sky you know if you could do anything what would you do so there was no kind of pressures of having to complete something or have something assessed or marked so I just had the freedom and space just to kind of really if I could do anything what, what could I do here um so that allowed me just to kind of really look into um the emergency services again I have no background in this area no background in business didn't think I'd set up a business it was just I want to help my friends how can I do that yeah. and I like designing stuff so if I can create like a button if it does something how does that all link together um but just the more I researched you know Google's a wonderful thing to start um I just yeah. spent a lot of time online roaming about to see what's currently being done um you know who's out there that's connected that could be some way um next in my journey um i discovered quite a lot of organizations here that um connect with the emergency services 
you know, kind of pulling together industry experts, um, government, and also the telcos who handle the calls. So it was really just kind of exploring who did I need to speak to. I haven't got the, the knowledge of all that and what I need to learn. And that's kind of where it started. But um, definitely I'm starting from a point of I have no idea what's about to come ahead. This is completely me. <laughs> so you're just figuring it out as you go. And you did have a few little moments where you got some assistance, right? Obviously, funding is always a huge issue anytime trying anybody's trying to bring an idea to market. How did that go? What kind of funding did you need and how did you get it? I think like any business or startup business, as you say, funding is one of the most difficult things. Um, particularly here in the UK. I think in America the landscape's a little bit different. Um people are take more risks where I think we're a little bit um, timid here in the, the funding world. Um, but locally in Northern Ireland, there are quite a few um, organisations who manage funds. And I was able to tap into that early on and create like a prototype and to test it. So I had small support, but it was kind of um, little pockets of money. I kept on applying and applying and applying the amount of time I've spent writing applications um, and putting myself out there. But it has just kind of fallen in place. It hasn't gone without hard work. It's been difficult to do, but we've always kind of um, got a little bit more to push us to the next step and a little bit more. Um, just recently, actually, during 2020, we applied for NFA-UK funding. And it's quite prestigious. It would be very competitive. Um and we managed to get two rounds of funding for that, which has been Ooh. fantastic. It's allowed us to branch out and develop a bit further. So that's been incredible. Um, we are still looking for more kind of private investment for the company just to really scale up what we've currently got. So at the minute, we've just been, I suppose people say bootstrapping, but we've had money come in to last certain points. I think in total, we've raised about um, 350K. Um, fantastic. There's a lot more that we could do with a lot more money. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and are these primarily like government grants or are these private parties? Yeah, um, primarily uh, grants. So Great. we've managed to kind of keep the IP. We've had two small family friend investors. Wow. And that was just by me sharing with family kind of what I'm doing. And two people have decided just to kind of support me more so than the business, just to say, right. I believe in what you're doing, go and do it. Bet on the jockey, um, not the horse, yes. <laughs> yeah, and that really helped um, not only encourage me, but get started and off the ground. And, you know, I find that if you can secure one, it just really snowballs and builds the traction for further follow-on funds. Absolutely. Did did you find that when you shared the idea in the beginning, people were immediately receptive or did they understand? Been a bit of a mix. Um, the majority has been, oh my goodness, why is this not available already? What's been the problem? Why has it taken so long? <laughs> um, and then you have some people that would say, hmm, yeah, I can see how it works for some people, but I wouldn't maybe use it myself. Mm. Um, and I suppose it all started by looking at the deaf and hard of hearing community, but very quickly as we journeyed and developed, we thought it's not just beneficial for. Um, deaf, hard of hearing, speech impaired. There are multiple times whenever telephoning can be an issue. If you're taking an allergic reaction, your throat begins to swell, choking, breathing difficulties, asthma, stroke, heart attack, the list goes on. And it can be really anything medical, situational, um, or physical that's like a barrier to calling. So once we started sharing or pitching and different events, 
people would meet up to me at the end of the event and say, you know, you, you do mention the deaf community, but I can see how this can benefit for me. And so we really just kind of use kind of non-verbal as our messaging tool. So anyone that fails it, you know, for whatever reason, they might be in a situation that makes it impossible to, talk, uh, to telephone. They can benefit from top SOS. That's so wonderful. And I think I read from your website that you said every day in the UK, the emergency services receive 20,000 silent 999 calls. What does that yeah. mean exactly? So really, that's just um, a telephone number has interacted with BT call systems and there has been no sound or response. Some can be immediately removed and spent like what they call a pocket call so maybe a phone has accidentally been sat on yes, yeah. saying, yes. a butt um, dial yeah. in our particularly actually, crass fashion <laughs> it's actually been figured out that um, 18,000 per year are identified as silent calls but needed emergency response so it's quite a large daily number but actually throughout the year there's 18,000 of those that relied and needed when online emergency response. So it's from people maybe who had a fear of being heard on the phone, right. so didn't communicate what they needed. Maybe they couldn't speak because again they were a bit choking or there's been other um, situations that they couldn't raise their voice. Um, and that really sat with me for a while. Um, I kind of didn't feel comfortable with why the number was so large. And it's shocking. I didn't know that know, until this. No idea about that, but I believe it. Yeah, and I think for us, we had top SOS at this point, um, but still um, an area kind of that I felt needed to improve was those reporting domestic abuse. Um, our app, as you can see, top SOS is very obvious in your tapping for assistance. Um, and those um, who maybe experience domestic abuse can't have something so obvious on their phone. Um, maybe they're in a controlling environment and that app would just be deleted or removed um, as well as quite um, obvious in the reporting there's a few steps that you need to um, go through in the process of making an alert that would just maybe not be appropriate for someone who's at high risk and needs to send a message just like that mm. so during the pandemic you know worldwide we saw domestic abuse just in the, on the increase um, a lot of factors um, one being that people were made to stay at home and quite often for people that wasn't a safe place and having 24 or 24 7 contact with somebody that maybe it wasn't a good environment was creating a lot more issues and people weren't able to maybe go to support groups or just have a bit of space but they were there and stuck um and so we saw a mixture of an increase of new reporting of domestic abuse and um, people reported for the first time and actually then a decrease of regular reporting so people who previously would have maybe alerted police couldn't anymore because they were having this 24 7 monitoring and observation going on um, so overall it increased but i think there was a lot more going on behind closed doors that just couldn't be reported and that's something we are looking at to try and bridge the gap we're trying to allow people the access to report it so that it can be done quicker and dealt with quicker so we're talking about two different things here, obviously, which is very fascinating. So this is a different solution that you're working on than TAP SOS. Um, before we jump into that, tell me the mechanism. So how does TAP SOS function, the default version? 
It's something I always forget to explain. I always run away with the idea and why we created it, but people always say, well, I'm a very simple work. and crude man. <laughs> <laughs> so Top SOS is a smartphone app and it can be downloaded from the app stores. Um, it's available on iOS and Android. Um, once you've downloaded it, it's not really to be downloaded during an emergency. It's recommended that you do it whenever you are seeing the comfort of your home. You have it pre-installed. Um, because we we allow you to create an account um, and set up some profile information about you, and that's all stored there and then sent directly to emergency services during an alert. And it would be information about you that if you were on a 911 call, that would be kind of the standard process of gathering all information. It can take a long time um, confirming who you are, your gender, age, where you live, all this detail is collected, but on the app, we have it all there pre-populated so just saves time and as well then can you tap which emergency you're experiencing as you go through it yeah so once you've got your profile created the process of creating alert is very straightforward the first screen you're faced with is which service do you require is it place ambulance fire and coast only allow within app all four to be reported to and then it's identifying um well where are you um you can confirm that through GPS. It's being very quick. There's times where, again, I've heard horror stories where people are in an emergency but don't know because they've maybe driven through a town or an unfamiliar road and have no idea. You yeah, know, that's you can easy see to imagine. Up there. Yeah. I wouldn't know half the time. Yeah, same. I can maybe say I'm close to McDonald's or close <laughs> right, to this, exactly. but no idea where. Figure it out. I'm um, a McDonald's. <laughs> so service location. What's going on? We have um, built or designed, as to say, kind of universal language icons um, just to kind of clearly identify what's the scenario. Um, they're really visual. And again, it's quite good if we were like moving into other regions where English is the first language with all the icons that are understood um, with a little bit of short text. Yeah. So service, location, the incident, and then there's a few questions that are just in line with the 99 triage. So questions like, is everyone breathing any serious bleeding and is everyone conscious? And that just helps kind of prioritize the call. Um, if any of those was a no, they'd be straight on top of the list. Um, so it's really just mirroring the 99 call at the minute. We're limited in some way because of the systems in place currently with, um, here in the UK, it's British Telecoms who manage all the 99 calls. Um, and their systems, as I say, were developed way back in 1935. And so things are old and rusty and need to be updated. And so we are only able to do so much. Um, there's so much we can do with terms like audio, video, um, kind of more automated interaction, but it's just not been able to be handed just yet um, as smoothly as we wish. So it's all a bit of a bit by bit at the moment. Work in progress. Kind of yeah. Now, uh, obviously, if you've used this, you've tested it out extensively. How much time does it take me, ballpark, to report what I need to report? So from the time I open the app, how much time do I need before I'm done with interacting with it? Around 30 seconds. 30 seconds. So I open it up, yeah. tap service, tap the situation, tap a few different questions, and yeah. there. Now, it seems to me that this might be more efficient for everybody even those who can speak on the phone. Do you believe that to be the case as well? Yeah, it's something we've really been working on is to 
we make the process really efficient, um, really fast, and just smart. You know, gather information beforehand saves a lot of time. Um, yeah. You no, know, you can imagine. Maybe if you haven't made a land alert ever in your life, but you could just imagine that you're in a really stressful situation. It's quite traumatic. You're maybe seeing things you've never seen before, yeah. um, or feeling very different than how you normally feel, and so. Trying to communicate during that circumstance is very difficult. Um, you don't really know how you're going to respond until you're in it. And then yeah. quite often you might find somebody goes, oh, I wish I had something like that that was a bit more visual or a bit more, you know. And part of my um, design, studying my master's, I was really looking at how do people communicate during high-stress circumstances and is lis- listening or verbally communicating or texting or writing things down, how do people interact and it came up on top that visual communication was so much more manageable. People, you know, your sound can be affected um, how you hear, um, how you see, that can all be impacted by a very stressful situation. So um, you might not be able to kind of communicate in the way you normally would. So highly visual icons is a lot more of a smooth process for that. And you'd think your your memory goes as well. Somebody says, where do you live? Uh, 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 I, it, it, you, know, you have all these moments yeah. where the answers probably won't come as fast as they normally would, and all of that takes time. So it, it seems yeah. to me that this solution would be better for literally everybody, no matter I who think you you'll, are. Yeah, and I have to agree. I'm a bit biased towards that of too. Course. But, I, think. but I, I genuinely do believe that now that I think about it. If I had all of the data pre-populated my address, all of these things that would take so much time. And, you know, well, well, let me give you an example. I don't know how it is in the UK, but I had to call the police. Very rare occasion in the US, but, uh, I don't know, a year and a half ago, I used to live in a relatively sketchy neighborhood, and I was woken up, let's say, three in the morning by six rapid-fire gunshots that were essentially in my apartment. That's what it felt like. It was actually right out front of the door. Somebody was shooting out a, a car, uh, mm-hmm. shooting out the windows. I think it was a warning or some kind of gang warning to somebody else. Anyways, I knew immediately that it was a gunshot. The first split, the first shot, I woke up and I basically had my finger thinking I need to call the police. But I remember, you know, you're shaking and you're confused and it was the middle of the night. I didn't have my glasses on and I am sure that that interaction would have been way better if a lot of that stuff was already pre-populated and it was just automatically sent because I had to dial a number. I had mm-hmm. to wait for somebody to answer, which takes a while. It didn't happen immediately. And then they have to ask you some very basic questions and then they have to ask you some follow-up. So it, no part of that made me think that it was very efficient. And yeah, I'm fully I've, capable. I've listened to a few online calls and... I've heard the call handler ask very simple questions. Um, can you confirm your mobile number? And you know, sometimes the mobile number is difficult. <laughs> um, yes, I believe. And they just can you confirm your address? And the person on the lines and they shouting the same thing on repeat, just what they're seeing in front of them. Right. Um, they're panicked. They're stressed. They just need help. Just send me help. Right. Just, just send, send help. somebody is, out is here. It I, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite frantic, and the call handler has to stick to the kind of the book and go down the questions and get the confirmation as to where they are in their number whereas our app can do that instantly you know yeah. the person's already given that information to you freely um and i do know though some people still want that kind of reassurance of speaking to somebody on the phone for some people they they instantly feel like ah oh, 
a bit more calmer that they hear a voice um and that's all good and well if you can and if that's possible for you um I think things will change it's just kind of you know it's very new thought process of doing it through an app and not speaking to somebody um and it's something as a, a technology company we want to improve and build into a user's experiences a bit more trust about the technology mm. you know if you report through the app it's gone you can trust it you don't need to check or do it again you know right i think there's a fear of has it been received has, is anyone yeah. going to communicate back and the minute globally there's just there's nothing there in place for the two-way dialogue um and as well the emergency services are still quite reluctant um particularly here in northern ireland based on our kind of history um you, you aren't able to track where place or ambulance are so it's been a bit of a bit of feedback from our users saying right. oh, i would love to know like how far away is the ambulance how far away at least uh, that information is not like given out yeah yeah i know and mcdonald's pizza other food orderings or right. taxis you can track it and you can see it right up your door and like why can't this be done for an ambulance i want to track my ambulance right where is it security <laughs> risk because people were destroying ambulances i mean what <laughs> yeah uh, a whole range particularly here in Ireland, you would find that um there would have been setups um maybe drawing them into a location and attacking them um <sighs> in, in england the the priorities more around um if somebody else's call came in on top of you and it was prioritized so your ambulance was dispatched oh, you somewhere see else, them coming you towards wish. you and then it gets diverted and then you hate your and life it's very possible yeah. so it's just kind of there's the pros and cons the way up there just do yeah, you really want yeah. to know because it may change right. and that could make you does. more stressed yeah. an eta would probably be better yeah but so mm-hmm. obviously see so you've got the funding you're building this technology at what point do you start interfacing with either british telecom or 999 or the government at what point do you start saying hey we got to set up some kind of global protocol here mm. so very early on when I was applying for a bit of funding, it was actually my first bit of funding, it was four thousand pounds. I thought that was incredibly a lot of money. Um, where I had written an application, submitted it, got the feedback, didn't get it. I was very disappointed. It was like, oh no, this is never going to take off. Um, but a bit of the feedback was, have you heard of BAPCO? It's um B-A-P-C-O, BAPCO, the British Communication Officials. And I went to them after getting this bit of feedback. And they were the organisation that kind of pulled together all these different industries that helped support the UK emergency services. There's actually an American version called APCO, the American Public So this organisation tied everybody together and allowed these conversations to happen. So very early on, we went to the conference, we got involved in meetings, we then became part of their app accreditation scheme. And that allowed us to get in front of the BT, British Telecoms, allowed us to get in front of the Home Office, the Cabinet Office and large government departments to say, this is what we want to innovate. Um, we'll work with you to kind of make sure it's operationally viable and you can trust us. We're going to be very transparent, allow us to kind of work with you. So we were accepted onto that accreditation um, scheme and it took us four years to complete. So it was really painfully slow. But um, it means when we launched our app in 2019, we had been fully accredited and all our alerts are handled by British Telecoms. So anytime somebody uses our app, it goes straight to them and onto most appropriate service, which just mirrors kind of an online calling system. Um, but I think a more serious competition now needs to be had. You know, I came from a point of, I see a big issue here. Things need to change. I went out of my way to raise the funds, 
could bring together a team and design and develop it. And now we need to have those conversations with government to say, okay, so how are you going to support this long term? Because mm-hmm. at the minute, um, it is one of our kind of own biggest challenges is how can we make this sustainable? You know, we've got funds to get us to a certain point, but how are we getting the government to support this further? Because it is simply just another method. You can telephone, you can text, and now you can use the app. Right. Let's get that supported centrally. And it's just it's just foolish that here we are in 2021, it's closing, and that we can't do this natively. I can turn on and off a light in my house from 2,000 miles away. We have the Internet mm-hmm. of Things. We have all of these things. I can order food to me in five minutes, all this stuff. Yeah. And when it comes to the most life-saving, vital thing, we're so far behind, 18,000 people a year, that's yeah. a huge number of calls being lost. So it seems to me that this is absolutely critical for the world to adopt this technology. It's definitely a global issue and something that our technology can adapt and go into any region. So while we keep going on about being in the UK, it's something that can be just repeated somewhere right. else. Um, and it's needed. You know, there's a, a cross issue um, that we just need to talk about. And certainly some kind of two-way street here where I submit it, but then maybe there's a, some codes that come back, like received, green check mark, it's received, or responding. Just a, a few basic pieces of info coming back mm-hmm. just so that you know this whole system. Because, again, I, I imagine that this makes everybody's life easier, including the people who field 999 calls. I think that this would save them a lot of time and effort and work. And have you done a study where you've compared somebody with the same emergency, hypothetical, just as test scenario, one person with the app, one person with their voice? Have you compared the efficiency side by side and have you noticed any differences? So we haven't done an official research paper yet, but that is something on the cards with our local university. Um, just That was what we were hearing from call handlers. That was their biggest pain point was people were not communicating in the way that they needed to to get the information they needed to hear in the right time to be able to get the dispatch um, sent. Um, I think it's, you know, we can see the comparison and say, oh, ours is 30 seconds, a call is typically three minutes. Like, where's the, where's the, um, the pros and cons there, you know, sure. in case this is more efficient, but we certainly want to do a more formal research paper into that, but haven't done it just yet. Okay, <laughs> I'll be <laughs> waiting for that. Uh, yeah. So so excellent. Okay, so the other thing before, I do want to go into your new idea, but in terms of, obviously, this noble mission is a wonderful, wonderful cause that I also believe in. Do you have any kind of business model attached to this? Is there any way that it would ever make money, or is this more of just a charitable thing building society? We are set up as a limited company, so we are set up to make money. <laughs> um, it wasn't how I set off, which is probably the wrong way to set up a business. You don't you normally start with how you want to make money, what are you going to sell? Whereas I just started with the opposite I started off with. Here's a problem. I want to fix it. So did Facebook, no idea. for the record. You're on the right track. <laughs> yes. You know, there's so many kind of services and products that are free and available for people to use and there's a way to make money. I do believe strongly that there will be a way to kind of keep it sustainable. I think particularly for tap SOS, I was very uncomfortable with charging the end user. Of I kind course. of feel that the public feel that it's a free service. It's of not course. free. Their mobile providers pay on their behalf, but for the public, 
we think this is something that needs to be it's open and free and yeah. I totally agree mm-hmm. so our app had to be free um, and it is free to download now where it leaves us with a bit of a problem is okay so how to keep the lights on and at the moment as I said we are reliant on grant funding which is there and available at the moment but long term what do we do and I think it's a fit for large companies and a bit of their CSR who um, either globally or in the UK depending on which region is available who wants to be seen supporting us you know it's really good public facing good news story to say we are supporting Completely the public agree. to access this and Completely I think agree. there's room for that um, down the line you know as you know our volume of users increase we may be able just to kind of help with um, pharmaceuticals just understanding sickness and trends differently in the profiles we collect information about um you know medications or sicknesses conditions now it's all private um and it wouldn't be sold or it's all gdpr compliant but just see more kind of patterns to see you know maybe in manchester and um, in england there are um this percentage of diabetics in this age category and it could just kind of inform to kind of improve um, our ethos and our values all about inclusion, access and improving quality of life we would never be very transparent with what we do at the minute we don't do any of that but if we were to go forward it would be very much just to better and to improve and there would be no nastiness in there or any areas of concern You can imagine that it applies to healthcare in a broader sense even non-emergency services there are just so many different things and to your point, we've got a global pandemic, COVID, all of these other things that can be tracked. It seems like this technology has wide-ranging yeah. implications. As well, there's a simple question in our app at the minute. Like organ donation, yes or no? Opt-in or opt-out? Um, and in the UK at the minute, um, it's currently changing or they're pushing for it to change, but you have to say, yes, I want to be an organ donor or I don't. Mm. Whereas in the future, it may move to you have to just opt-out. And if you don't, right? Some societies have done that. I can't recall yeah, much, but I know it's a real big issue. Like there are thousands and thousands of people die in the UK every year waiting on an organ. Mm-hmm. And you know, if our technology can help, just kind of share that information. And usually, it's just because they don't know what the patient maybe had decided yes or no, yeah. and so it's just lost. And I think there's another area where just by having it in our technology, simply yes or no, um, it can maybe support another cause. Do you know what we call organ donors in the United States? No. Motorcyclists. Oh, yeah. It's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't imagine. No, no, so. it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a, it's a, sorry, very d- uh, dark humor. Um, but spe- speaking of influential people who have the power to help you personally, 2017, you had a brunch meeting with Richard Branson? I did. You met him yes. personally? Yes, I did. How did that um, go? What kind of a character is he? That's actually a fun story. Um, and it was just one of my many wild applications that I had spent time submitting something, no idea what to expect. Um, I was invited to come along and pitch here in Belfast for an opportunity. It's three virgin film business. Um, so I prepared my pitch, went on stage. Now Richard Branson was not around at this point. This was just kind of his team traveling around the UK here in startups and selecting regional winners to then meet Richard Branson in London. Um, so we were chosen for the winners of um, Northern Ireland and we flew to London 
um, in October 2017 and met him for brunch with Brunson, it was called. You might actually see in the, the video here at the teapot behind me. I do. It's actually, that is linked to Richard Brunson's meeting. So we were kind of encouraged to bring him a gift. And I thought, I have an app. Like, I can't really gift him anything. People maybe had products or, you know, other different things that they could just give, like merch or something. And I thought, and also, what do you give a man that pretty much can have everything? Right. I mean, he's just got a space for goodness sake. There's a teapot, uh, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so we thought about like, how do we at least stand out? Um, and also I wanted to kind of also feature other companies from Northern Ireland rather than just myself. Like how could I bring somebody else on board as I go to this meeting? Luckily, we have a, a company called CBT. And it's all about, um, you know, fur trade um really environmentally friendly um tea growing um, like and so they they have their own little setup here in northern ireland they're actually very you know, widely known um this is part of their set so they have like a little set you can buy but i i met them spoke to them and said look i meet richard Branson. and the reason why i went to them was because I googled him, I read lots of articles, I kind of had to find out a bit more about him. And everywhere in images I could see he's holding a cup of tea. And he mentions quite a lot how he just he makes big decisions around a cup of tea. He speaks to his wife over a cup of tea. It's just a lot of his like nice times or decision making or big life moments happen with a cup of tea in hand. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So he always mentioned it and he loves English breakfast tea. And when I went to Suki Tea to speak to them, I said we've got to think about what can we do to impress him or be memorable and they said well he likes English breakfast and that's not sustainable because the tea, tea leaves from India and just completely destroyed that area so what we do now mm. we're sourcing our leaves from here so they had another um, area in Africa that they're saying it's actually more fur traded we can see from start to finish the process and we're using our leaves from there so let's make him his own brew it'll be a bit like English breakfast It'll have similar tastes, but it'll be more sustainable. I thought, great. So we, we spent a couple of hours. I would normally take like a six-month pro, uh, process, but we spent a few hours um, picking all different flavours from start to finish to create his own Branson brew. So um, he had his own tea made from Suki Tea, and I brought that over um, to that meeting. But um, very down to earth. Like when I met him, um, very approachable. Um You'd be quite, be quite nervous when you meet someone of, like, of his caliber, and you just right. think, "What have I to say to you? And how are you going to listen?" <laughs> um, and one of the funny stories: um, there was a, a press um, officer there taking photos for the event, and I was last. And seeing kind of there were seven of us, and they were all going one by one, and conversation been quite fluid and relaxed until the photos opportunity came and people got really stiff and right. straightened up and neatened up and did all this and it went the dynamic changed massively and I watched everybody go up one by one to like the stage to get a photo with them and I walked up and I could see he was kind of tiring and thinking oh yeah another one okay a thumbs up or a you know high five what will I do here so I was watching all this and I just went up and I just walked to him and gave him a hug and he nearly passed out. He just thought, what on earth? But he loved us and so much so that we nearly fell off the stage. He, was just, he just grabbed me and gave me a big shake and was like, yes, this is great. <laughs> um, and I just said, you know, why not? Um, but yes, he was very approachable and really inspiring too. And 
I think I mentioned earlier how I'm dyslexic and so is Richard Branson. So we had a bit of a quick chat about that and just how do you manage that in terms of when you're speaking to people, when you're communicating through emails or preparing for events, um, talks, the whole, whole works. So we want to share some tips and advice. So it's a great opportunity and something that, again, you never imagine you're going to have the opportunity, you know, applying for something where it's going to lead you have no idea. And so that's quite something I'd encourage people to do who maybe are listening to this. Just don't hold back if you're a bit like concerned or reserved about something. Give it a go. Be open to this. What a wonderful story. I love that. That's such a great thing. And who knows, maybe one day he'll be a more public-facing champion of your idea. Maybe somebody like him is exactly what you need to get broader support. Also, yeah. Virgin Mobile being a telecom business themselves, right? So he's plugged in. You never Absolutely. know. It's easy yeah, for me to great. imagine that happening as you gain more traction, which is fantastic. Um, the last, I didn't want to lose the other parts. You're developing a second product. I don't want to lose that thread for domestic abuse that has to be fundamentally different than the way that TAP SOS works. So knowing that this app might be deleted, knowing that there would be many circumstances where somebody can't use something like this or they'd be monitored or controlled, how did you begin to solve that problem? Yeah, so that really came about. I mentioned that during 2020, you know, our team were faced with just observing the world and the mess that was unraveling. And again, just hearing the daily stats and news reports about domestic abuse. Um, our Prime Minister Boris Johnson was, you know, doing publications on a weekly basis to broadcasting saying, stay at home, you know, stay at home. At the end, you started seeing you started to hear him say, unless it's unsafe for you to do so. And that was the only time he can excuse you to leave your house was only leave if it's unsafe. Um, so you just at that point really identified this is a really big issue and it's highlighting the severity of it. Um, so the team we knew we were sitting on technology that could help, but we just didn't think it was appropriate um, for every um, victim of domestic abuse. So while people can still download top SOS and are afraid to do that, it may be that those at higher risk wouldn't be able to. So we looked at what we have built and then applied for a bit of funding that came up through Innovate UK to really tackle COVID-related issues. So what we were designing really fitted with their brief um, and we managed to get a significant amount of money to then spend the next six months to design, develop, test and roll it out. So we have a second product now. Our name of it um, remains discreet just for the nature of the product. Um, And it's similar kind of functionality that it is a mobile app, but it's um, discreet and... Um, disguised so it doesn't look doesn't to be look like what, what it is. is. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And it's very quick. So it wouldn't take 30 seconds to report an alert. It would be much quicker. Mm. Um, it's still quite smart so it can gather information and send that um, within a really short period of time. Um, there's just so much more opportunity for that particular um, product. And it's a bit different with Top SOS. It's not public facing, as I said, but also there's a bit more business behind it. Commercially, you know, we're looking to engage with police forces directly. So it would be centrally distributed from a police force. So once you become known um, either through a service um, or police directly, if you've reported before or if you've come into contact with them, they then give you this too um, for reporting. So we see that as a kind of a, a model that we can channel um, directly to police forces and have a licence agreement with them. 
I love that. That's wonderful. And maybe there's something you can go in business with uh, game developers. Like, oh, it's Candy Crush. <laughs> it's, uh, I know. Just, so when you think about it, there's so much opportunity just to kind of dis- disguise the way right. of reporting. And, and it anybody would want to be on board with that, I would think. Yeah. yeah. Who would say and no to that? And as well, in the design of it, we really... It's interesting you said a game. It's not a game, but you're you're thinking in a really good way because we wanted to make sure that children could use this too because we've also found that children aren't necessarily considered in the process. Um, and very often, I think it's something like 70%, if not more, of the cases that are reported children have been witnessed and been in the household and they're never really accounted for. So either a child who's witnessing domestic abuse can report it on their device or if they're experiencing themselves, again, they can report it. So something that was easily understood, very quick, very user-friendly, um, and that took children into consideration. That's such a wonderful idea. I, I saw somewhere in, the, I think it was in Europe, where they had those billboards or those bus stop ads where the if you were at an adult height, it looked one way, and if you're at a kid's height, it looked different. And it oh, said so something. Clever. It's so clever, right? And so a kid, yeah. they see something, and it says, hey, if you notice something, report it here. So awesome, these kinds of discrete things that people are thinking of, and this seems to be right along those mm-hmm. lines. I I love it. I can't say enough about the work <laughs> that you're doing. I know we're kind of coming up on the end of our hour here, but it's it's absolutely fabulous that you have gone down this road and that you have discovered all of these other things from one simple encounter when you're 16 yeah. years old working in retail, of all things, right? Yeah. To understanding how oh my goodness, there are so many people that this actually applies to. It's not just this one guy, Nigel. (laughs) There are so many other people in completely different areas. Mm -hmm. But it's wonderful that you are taking this upon yourself, that you are being taken seriously, because we need this, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. And I hope to support in any way that I can, and I hope that our, our listeners will also recognize that this is something that just has to happen. It's not really negotiable. It's... We need to do this. If there's an iPhone 13, we need to do this. Yeah. Something we always say, it's not a luxury, but a necessity. Yeah, completely. It doesn't make any sense. Um, Well, I do want to do a couple of little quick things to sort of wrap up. It's been a very big pleasure for me, so thank you already for taking the time. Um, I wanted to do a kind of funny little prompt, so a quick short thing. When we're taking on challenges in the entrepreneurial journey, there's ups and downs, there's highlights, and all of these bad moments. What is the most heroic moment of conquest in your journey so far? Well, uh, a very serious answer that would be just getting our accreditation. You know, that took so much of my energy, determination, and grit. You know, it's a four-long process, four-year long process. Four-year and process, wow. We just, I think, completing that. And we were up against a lot of grey, white men. And that was As challenge for is. me. <laughs> um, I think just the industry was a difficult one to kind of get into. But we've done it. I'm very proud of that. Well, if there's, you know, the, the, the British government is known for being uh, progressive. and. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's what I think of when I think, I think, ah, forward thinking. Um, (laughs) That's huge. Congratulations on achieving that accreditation. Fabulous. All right. Next quick piece. Uh, What is the best piece of advice you've ever personally received? 
give it a go I think my parents were always just very motivational to say why not try it like they were they weren't afraid of maybe the mistakes I would make they they encouraged me just to give it a go um and that definitely gave me the freedom to try things not to be the pressure of okay I need to get this job I need to be performing this way I need to have a house marriage kids so it wasn't very like a formal way of um upbringing so I think my childhood has a lot of just kind of just give it a go. Try it. Just give it a shot. So yeah. good. We touched on this earlier, but somebody out there who has noticed something in the world, they want to bring an idea. As you said, no business sense, no any, you never thought it would, you would be here. What advice do you have to somebody who doesn't have an idea yet, or they might have an idea to actually mm-hmm. bring that into the world? I'd say let your passion lead you, you know, it is coming from me really wanting to connect with somebody else to then seeing how they connect with something else that's just kind of unraveled. I really didn't know to begin. So just being open, I can to try it. But deep down, you'll know what you feel strongly about and explore that. See if there's something in there that you just feel so strongly about you want to support it and commit the time to it. Wonderful ending thoughts. And now I want to give you the floor to send people wherever you want, so promote whatever you want. How can people support your mission? What can they do right now to help you out? I mean, if you enjoyed hearing about us, you know, continue joining us on this journey. Follow us on social media. We're on all the platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, you name it. Um, and if you're in the UK, download the app. It's there and available for you to download for free. Um, we always love to kind of hear how people are using it and how it's benefited them. So do connect and reach out. Um, but yeah, get on board, get behind us and share it with any friends that you have that you think it could benefit. Or if you are in kind of the government realms or emergency services in your location and we're not with you at the minute, let's see how we can get top SOS in your region. That would be great. You heard her. That's what we need to do. Mm-hmm. I love it. Becca Hume from Tap SOS, thank you again for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. I can't say enough good things about what you're doing. Keep on going wherever it takes you. So yeah. glad that you're out there in the world and that you've committed to this. I look forward to this coming to the U.S. and to countries around the world soon. So keep at it. You've got another fan. And uh, now that we're at the end of our hour, with that, the official part of the podcast is over. Amazing. Thank you, Ross. What an episode that was. Oh my goodness. I have goosebumps. Do you have goosebumps? That's how excited I am about her idea. It just thrills me to know that there are people like her out there who have committed to these most fundamental, most amazing things. I support her wholeheartedly and I strongly suggest that you do the same. I want her technology to be all over the world, in the US, all over the UK, all over the EU, everywhere. I think she's on to something big, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for her. As always, if you enjoy this show, if you find value in these stories, please rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on Spotify, wherever you find your podcast, subscribe, rate it five stars, leave a nice review, and above all, share it. Share it with somebody who needs to hear it. Share it with somebody who can help bring her vision to life, especially if you're in a different country than she is. 
So again, thank you for listening to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I really appreciate you more than you know, and I will see you next week.